alone. The girl huddled in the rocky impression she had found after how much time she could not tell. In this strange place, there was no day or night, only an everlasting twilight that colored everything in amber and violet hues. Janice was not the outdoorsy type, but she was not frail either. She knew that water was the first thing she needed, and then she needed to find shelter. Or it might have been the opposite of that order, but she'd found both in either case. There was a deep flowing spring that broke the surface just inside the overhang of the massive stone cave she had found herself in when she first arrived. The landscape was sparse, mostly rock with a few withered pines and some green plants that at least told her that this place must not be too different from her own world. After a careful taste from the spring, which she found to be both cool and refreshingly clean, Janice had carefully searched along the cave mouth and then further across the rocky cliff to either side. Initially, she had yelled for help, but quickly stopped this after hearing what amounted to a low moan in response. Frightened, she had searched furiously until she came upon the small alcove she now used as a base camp of sorts. Once or twice she had tried to use the song as an escape, but after many fruitless efforts, she surmised that it was perhaps for one-way use only, and the options for stumbling upon the correct returning phrase were limitless. With no other options at hand, she slept when she grew tired and investigated her surroundings otherwise. The only thing she had found so far that resembled any kind of human presence was a small arched stone bridge that led from one side of the stream to the other, located within relatively easy walking distance from her base camp. It was there that she had first noticed the glowing light in the water. On two occasions, as she had passed, she felt that she had heard a voice calling to her. Both times she scurried away in fear, but desperation was forcing her to take bolder steps, which is how she came to be squatting on the near shore next to the bridge staring intently at the softly pulsing light beneath the rippling surface. The ghostly voice spoke with a lilting, otherworldly accent. Bracing herself for the worst, Janice took in a deep breath and responded. Hello. Can you hear me? The eerie voice responded once again. The sound was muted as if speaking through water, which made sense to Janice. Shifting more closely to the water's edge, she stretched a hand out over the rippling surface. Can you help me? Can, can you help me get back? I don't know where I am. Janice nearly jumped in glee at the new phrase. Somehow she was communicating with the creature, or the thing. I came here by singing. I sang a phrase, and that brought me here. Is there another phrase that you could share with me? One that could take me home? If she could learn the reverse phrase, she could travel freely between this place and her home, she thought excitedly. 
The glowing light below rose to the very top of the water, but did not break its surface. Janice could see what looked like a face, distorted, yet beautiful in its own way. Plucking up her courage, Janice got down on both knees and held both of her hands over the water. Then she began to sing the phrase that had brought her here. As she sang, the light pulsed almost rhythmically to each note. And when she had finished, the creature responded, this time mimicking her phrase, but with slight changes and voicing it with the phrase it had most recently used. Clapping her hands excitedly, Janice practiced the phrase in her head before cupping her hand and dipping it into the water while repeating the musical phrase the creature had just given her. As she sang the phrase, the water around her hand began to bubble and froth, and a small mote of light broke from the larger one, floating softly over to settle within her open palm. Your farm. Oof. I thought I would never feel warm again. So, so you're friendly. Okay. Let's try another phrase then. This time, one that will take me home. Even as she spoke, the glowing light in her hand grew suddenly heavy, pulling her hand more deeply into the stream. Surprised, she shrieked and cried out. Stop! What are you doing? I don't want to go in there! Help! But the weight only grew threatening to pull her off balance as she struggled to free herself from its grasp. Help! Is anyone there? Please! Anyone! But the weight in her hand was too great, and with a lurch and a resounding shriek, the young woman was yanked from the shore and pulled rapidly into the depths of water below. Cassie and Whittle sat side by side, facing the expansive mural as the man in fatigues they'd recently learned to be named Alistair paced back and forth. His compatriot stood at the door they had entered with burly arms crossed to indicate that any attempt to escape would be futile. Whittle, for her part, had taken the lead in responding and was sticking to the basic story she was repeating for the third time. As I said already, this is just a silly prank we were going to play on the seniors. We both understand now that it was a stupid idea, and we promise we'll never try anything this idiotic and childish again. <laughs> Garrett Black guffawed in response from his position by the door, earning him a cross look from Alistair. Miss Apple and Miss Cole, I was once a teenager myself, and I know a lie when I hear one. We'll just wait for Mistress Floquet to arrive and she can sort this out on her own. So the chief of security can't resolve a student prank without calling mom? <laughs> yeah. Cassie was surprised at Whittle's cutting tone, 
but then recalled that her new friend was seriously considering a switch from percussion to the performing arts. And if this were any indication, she would be very good at it. Alastair frowned at that remark, looking over to Black, who shrugged and added, <laughs> She may be a rich little brat, but she's got a point. It's not like we don't know who these uh, kids are. I won't be able to find them later. True, but I want to know what you were doing in here. The video feed showed the place lighting up like a Christmas party without the lights being on. Same as last time. Last time? This time it was Cassie's turn to speak up, but she was rapidly interrupted by Whittle. We could show you. It's just a little performance trick with some phosphorescent paint, but it doesn't work with the lights on. As if I'm going to turn the lights out with two young ladies in the room. I'm not that dumb, but I'll have you show me all the same. Okay. Just step back against the curtain there. This time, Cassie grabbed Whittle's arm. You can't do this. It's too dangerous. <laughs> Look, kids. I've seen more scary stuff than you'll ever imagine. Just go ahead and do your thing there. With a stern look back at Cassie, Whittle began to sing the simple phrase she had used earlier in the evening. This time, she sang it over and over with depth and feeling allowing her voice to soar with emotion until the mural behind Alastair began to ripple as a cool breeze filled the room. Before long, snowflakes began to swirl around the security chief. With a look of wonderment on his face, Please. Garrett Black began to walk toward his chief. I've never seen any stage tech that could do something like this. It, it's actually cold. Alastair nodded as he turned to the mural. Don't stop, girl. You keep singing. Whatever you're doing, don't stop until I say. Cassie was growing frantic now as she sensed danger just beyond the mural, like a huge, lurking beast. Chief Hallister, you don't know what you're doing. I don't think that's safe. But just as Cassie began to shout her warning, she looked over at her friend, whose eyes had glazed over as she sang. Whittle continued mindlessly, as if under some other control. In fact, it appeared to Cassie that Whittle was being played like a musical instrument. A sudden, concussive thud drew Cassie's eyes back to the mural. Chief Alistair had vanished. Did you, did you see that? He's gone. Just like that, he disappeared. Oh, okay, kids, you need to stop that. You need to stop that right now. Cassie could see the security officer's right hand slowly reaching toward the pistol on his belt unclipping the weapon, but as he did so, his elbow made contact with the mural screen, and with a second concussive thud and a clatter, the man was gone, his gun falling to the floor along with his radio, phone, and flashlight. The wind was whipping at them now from the mural as Widow continued to sing, her song a torrent of melody and tones that Cassie had never heard from a human before. In fear, she dabbed her fingers into the pail of paint she still held and lifted the strangely glowing substance to Whittle's face. Making strokes on either side, she painted with instinct, having no idea what she was doing other than madly dabbing and dashing and stroking until abruptly, Whittle's voice seized in her throat and she crashed to the floor. Instantly, the wind died out and howling subsided as a silent hush fell upon the room broken only by Cassie's heaving breaths. The security officers were gone. 
Whittle. Whittle, please, come on. You have to wake up. We need to get out of here, now. Cassie cradled her friend's head in her arms as she blinked back tears of fear and anger. She carefully set the strange pail of paint down and tried to wipe the remaining residue from her fingers as she inspected Whittle's head for injuries. After what felt like an hour, but could only have been moments, Whittle's eyes blinked, her lashes fluttering and squinting under the overhead lights. What? What happened? Where am I? You're safe, but Whittle, we have to get out of here. The two guards, they're gone. They... They disappeared into the mural. I don't, I don't know what's going on, but we have to go. Guards? I don't remember any guards. All I remember is, I remember seeing that silly tune and the edge of the mural lighting. And then here we are. As she spoke, she allowed herself to be led from the room, down the dark corridor, and out into the cool night air. Together, the girls made their way across campus, slipping from shadow to shadow until they reached the girls' dormitory and the propped open window of Cassie's basement-level dorm room. Quietly, the two of them slipped into the room, careful not to wake Sarah, who lay bundled under the covers after a late night studying in the lounge. But just as Whittle reached the door to exit the room, Sarah rolled over, eyeing them both coolly in the darkness. The whole story. You're going to tell me the whole story. I don't know what the two of you are up to, but I want in, unless you want to be in a whole lot of trouble. Your roommate is tougher than she looks, Cassie. I'll let you two sort this one out. Whatever you put on my face is starting to burn. I need to get it off. Slipping the door open, Whittle disappeared down the hallway. It's better if you don't know, Sarah. Everything. Back in the security shed, the bank of video screens that monitored the vast array of cameras set across the campus blinked once, then twice, before all 20 tiny screens blinked out. The system, sensing an issue with the power supply being cut, rebooted. But as it was attempting to save the last four hours of footage, the hardware encountered an error and logged the error to the server as the last four hours of video content from every feed across the campus was dumped from memory. What do you mean there's nothing? We have how many cameras spread across this campus, and we just happen to lose the data from every feed the night that my security chief and his senior officer go missing? I don't know what to say, ma'am. The security officer that had reported the missing chief was standing just behind Mr. Sploquet's shoulder as she looked across the array of security screens, her hand twisting the main dial that controlled the video feedback. As she hit play once again, the timing clock on the upper corner of each camera jumped forward by four hours. It was as the security officer told her when he brought the news of the chief's disappearance from the night before. Calmly standing back up and turning to face the security officer, 
a short but stout man in his late forties, if she were a guest. Mistress Floquet leveled a stare at the man that made him wince. I don't care if you have to personally tear this equipment apart yourself. I want answers. At the very least, I want more information than you've told me thus far. Yes, ma'am. We're doing everything that we can. And what exactly is that? Looking for two men that have gone missing? Where are you looking? What exactly are you doing that is actually useful? She knew that berating this man was no use. But at the moment, she felt like chewing steel. We've locked down Quibley Hall and are dust in the room where the officer's equipment was found. I was going through all the door and window alerts. We'll find something if there's anything to find. A ring of sweat had formed under both the officer's arms as he hesitated before saying anything further. What is it? I can see you're holding something back. What else? This would go faster, ma'am, if we could get some outside help. Perhaps call the police in? If the man thought he had caught her withering gaze before, he was no longer disillusioned as the look he received now quite literally made him take two steps back and lift his hands over his face. Mr. Sploquet's countenance warped in a snarl that was more beast-like than human as a cloak of darkness embraced her. You have more resources here than anyone but the NSA. Give me answers, or you may be the one we're searching for next. The man whimpered as he curled down toward the floor, covering his head with both arms and mewling like a wounded calf as the headmistress pushed smoothly by and out the door. She had an idea of what had happened and who she should speak to next. I'm in too. Look, I get that you don't like me and all, but something big is going on, and you're at the center of it. I know you were out last night after curfew. Ludo got no further with his comment than that before Cassie grabbed him by the arm and clamped a hand over his mouth with the other, pulling him into a side hallway. She could feel Ludo's eyes on her during the entire class and knew he was up to something. Keep it down, you idiot. I'm right, he shouted as she took her hand away but her look was enough to silence him. You don't know anything and nothing is going on. You're a terrible actor, Cassie. Besides, I saw you from my window. You and someone else, you're both heading towards the quib. And when I heard the two guards were missing, I just put two and two together. My word, Ludo, are you spying on me? Do you realize what a creep you are? I, I can help. I know I can. In our writing courses, we've been poring over these weird ancient texts learning the history of poetic forms i'm pretty good at translating them already what why on earth would i care about your translation abilities cassie was both nervous and excited she could feel her elevated pulse if she were being truthful she kind of liked ludo even if he were a complete idiot okay fine what if you find a monster or something worse and i'll need something to feed it good point Cassie countered with a grin, cutting the young man off before he tried to say something stupidly macho. Monster bait then. I'll, I'll take it. Ludo managed a bit of a smile and straightened his shirt as she finally let go of him. You are deceptively strong. The boy actually tried to feel her bicep before she swatted his hand away and glared at him. Jalal, remember? Noted. 
Okay, if you can keep your mouth shut, you can come along. One word out of you. Not, not a peep. Where and when do we meet? A meeting after dinner. Bottom floor of the gallery. I'm in. You, you won't regret this. Pluto smiled as he pushed himself back into the flow of students, leaving Cassie alone in the side corridor. Gathering her composure, Cassie waited a moment longer for the crush of students to dissipate before heading to Diacus Hall for her next society block. to the eyes are incompetence. Blending us the colors of the obsolete. Hide us in the shades of our own conceit. Bury our minds in the sands of time, forgotten, broken, but still alive. Search for me. Find me, I will not hide. Do not give way to the rising tide. Like a light on a hill in the darkest place, follow my path, just follow my trace. Today, we see what you are made of. The looming figure of Mistress Seltrix once again filled the space behind the small lectern. She had allowed the assistant professors to handle the last few society blocks. But Cassie felt that her appearance here today was not by mistake. How many of you are familiar with the Greek concept of the humors? Mr. Seltrix asked as she surveyed the class before her. No one made a move to respond. Well then, Miss Dawson, why don't you enlighten us? I'm sure you've done your readings. Sarah blanched at being called, but responded without hesitation. 
Cassie was beginning to wonder if she was actually shy or trying to avoid looking like a know-it-all, as she always seemed to, well, know-it-all. The four humors originated in Greek medicine and likely earlier and generally referred to as phlegmatic, melancholic, choleric, and sanguine. They roughly correspond to the four seasons. Lovely. And can you name the colors associated with each and their temperament? Mistress Zeltrix turned toward an easel that stood behind her, holding a large blank canvas. Melancholic is black, winter and associated with being tired or depressed. Phlegmatic is autumn, green and can be fearful or stubborn. Cleric is summer, yellow and aggressive or angry. Sanguine is spring, red and impulsive or passionate. Sarah had grown more confident as she spoke and now the whole class was looking at her. And what do we call people that know the answer but do not volunteer to share it? Mistress hmm? Celtrix asked without turning around. While Sarah had been talking, she had taken a brush of each color in turn and painted a smooth circle in each of the four corners of the canvas. I don't... I don't know, Mistress. Mistress Zeltrix held the red brush in her hand. She turned purposefully around to stare at Sarah as she replied, Useless. The class gasped as one, to which the mistress swiftly swung her gaze across the entire class while adding, Equally useless are those that do not know because they are unwilling to put the effort in. Make no mistake, children. Your talent or your money may have gotten you here, but it is only through hard work and fanatical dedication that you may remain. Taking the red brush and turning the handle towards Sarah, the mistress indicated a second blank canvas that stood at the front of the class. Miss Dawson, I want you to evoke passion in as many of us as you can. You may only use the red. Carefully, Sarah took the brush and walked to the blank canvas where she paused a moment before stroking out the smooth curve of parted lips before setting the brush aside and walking back to her seat. How many of you feel passion from this? Adolescents can be aroused by almost anything, apparently. Perhaps this is not such a good test. Miss O'Dyne, would you please take the yellow and evoke a sense of anger in as many of us as you can? Molly had been keeping a close eye on Cassie ever since Mistress Maud had intervened, and she rarely missed an opportunity to let Cassie know just how little she regarded her. Taking the yellow, the fourth-year proctor dabbed heavily in the pail before dripping the brush sloppily and slashing the canvas with several strokes of yellow sending paint flying across the floor and the far wall as she did. A collective groan by the first years drew a smile to Molly's face as she walked back to her seat, adding a comment. Enjoy cleaning that up. I'm certain that we could have done without the theatrics. I suppose a few more of you felt anger at Miss O'Dyne's performance? Several more hands went up at this point, including Cassie's, which drew Mistress Zeltrick's attention. Miss Cole! Shall we try fear, then? The older woman smirked as Cassie stepped forward and took the green pail. But rather than painting in front of the others, she turned the easel around and flipped the canvas on its side. She knew what she wanted to paint, as it was something she had seen in her dream, something that made her fearful every time she looked at it. Quickly, she stroked with one hand, dipping her brush as necessary into the pail. She didn't worry about sharp lines, but let the paint ooze as she moved rapidly, 
swirling in the red and the yellow until the strange and ghastly silhouette she had seen emerged on the canvas. The class grew restless as Cassie painted, but Mistress Seltricks merely watched her with growing curiosity. When she finished, Cassie looked over the canvas at the class as she started to slowly swing the painting around. The creak of wooden legs was the only sound that could be heard. Simultaneously, a girl and a boy sitting together near the back of the classroom screamed. Others looked anxiously at the pair, unsure what to do or think. Nervous chatter began to pick up in the classroom as three students abruptly left the semicircle of chairs, half running toward the exit. Cassie's hair prickled along her arms as she looked at Sarah's ashen face. Following her gaze, Cassie saw another student convulsing on the ground as others around him began to whimper and cry. In a few short strides, Mistress Seltrix picked up the black pail of paint and splashed the canvas before turning abruptly back toward the class. Lesson is over. Miss Cole, you will follow me. Now. Her voice allowed for no alternative. Rapidly, the classroom vacated, the students seeming only too happy to exit the space which felt claustrophobic and stale. Mechanically, Cassie followed her professor, who led the way through the pair of doors that were situated behind the pair of canvases. Cassie had never been in this section of the building and was surprised to find it both well-lit and exquisitely furnished. Mr. Seltrix had taken the space over as her personal office and studio. An array of bizarre and striking paintings hung along both walls, like some modern exhibit had been prepared, though Cassie had never seen anything like these paintings. Looking at them gave her the impression of movement, as though she were standing in the midst of an oozing wall conceived by Salvador Dali. Breaking her eyes away, Cassie turned around to close the doors, and as she did so, the nausea receded. Oh, that won't be necessary, Miss Cole. Will only be a moment. As Cassie turned back toward Mistress Seltrix, the nausea began to rise again in her stomach as the images hanging to either side started to undulate in their grotesque display. Those are interesting paintings. Are they yours, Mistress? The struggle to remain focused was all too real as Cassie sought for some other point in the room upon which she could safely look. Yes. Yes, they are. Do you recall my first lecture, Cassie? Do you remember what I told you about art? Art is magic? I think that's what you said. But you didn't believe me, did you, Cassie? I don't... I don't think that's the right word for it, Mistress. I guess I didn't really understand what you meant by that. The buttons on the Mistress's coat, those weren't moving. If Cassie could focus on those, the nausea and spinning in her head might recede enough to think. Yes, that wasn't a metaphor, dear. I meant what I said. Art is literally magic. For those who know how to wield it. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe you have the talent. Cassie found the whole scenario to be beyond comprehension. So she simply remained silent, looking from one button to another as the mistress continued. While you may be only in your first year of enrollment, I believe you are both old enough and experienced enough to begin working toward your senior project. As of today, you will continue to attend this block, but 
you will also join the third and fourth year scholars in the Senior Society Seminar and Workshop. I don't know what to say, mistress. Thank you. <laughs> oh, oh, this is no free pass, Miss Cole. Tomorrow after dinner, you will join me at Quibley Hall for your introductory seminar. That will be all. Tomorrow evening. All right. I'll see you there, mistress. Cassie spun quickly toward the double doors, moving out into the main room, which was now vacant save for Molly O'Dine, who stood with a pail of soapy water and a mop. Not so fast, Judy. Seems you made all of the other first years sick. It's only fair that you get to clean up the mess. Water and suds sloshed onto Cassie's smock. Soaking through to her uniform beneath as Captain O'Dine roughly pushed the bucket and mop into her hands with a smirk. I'll check back on this, so be sure to do your best work. Another smirk, and the precept was heading toward the exit, leaving Cassie alone with a bucket and a mess of paint to clean before dinner. Cassie and the Spectral Shade is an original story written, produced, and narrated by D.M. Nichols from the Happy-Go-Lucky Podcast as a follow-up story to Charlie Saves Christmas. This story is made possible by the support of our listening audience and the tremendous voice talent of our many podcasting creators and friends. Cassie Cole is voiced by the amazing Jessica Ann. You can visit her on Twitter at Queen Nerd for Life. Sarah Dawson, Cassie's roommate, is voiced by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Joan, or Aunt Noni, Cassie and Charlie's aunt, is reprised by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Willem Marshall IV is voiced by Sawyer Green from This Planet Needs a Name. Whittle Apple is voiced by Dietrich Marie Bowie. Learn more about her podcast, writing, and other creative projects online at DietrichMarieBowie.com. Headmistress Pearl Floquet is voiced by Alexandria Young-Ray from Pomegranates and Pitchforks. Ludo Van Ness is voiced by Adam Legrave from The Tall Grass Podcast. Janice Tremaine is voiced by Beth Yadden. Be sure to follow her on Instagram at ChaoticGoodHood. Bentley the Bus Driver is voiced by Brad Zimmerman from The Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon. Master Grimpen Galleon is also voiced by Brad Zimmerman from The Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon and Fate of Bison. Jimmy Chopper Franks and Bobby Beef Franks are both voiced by Kenneth Eccles from Podcast Reviews Reviews Podcast or PRRP. Trevor Dawson, Sarah's older brother, is voiced by Corey Fouch. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at the underscore Corey P. Mistress Cressida McLean is voiced by Julie Miller from the Podville podcast. Master Bail Adonis is voiced by Corbin Miller from the Podville podcast. Mistress Cynthia Zeltrix is voiced by Hannah Gallagher from the Thornvale podcast. Captain Molly O'Dine is voiced by Susanna Lewis from the Thornvale podcast. Alastair Montrose is voiced by Jordash Richardson from Top of the Round. Willem Marshall III is also voiced by Jordash Richardson from Top of the Round. 
Mistress Audrey Maud is voiced by Kate Walinga from the Ignorance Was Bliss podcast. Lanana is voiced by Brian Dowling from Dice Tower Theater. Garrett Black and additional characters to be revealed later are voiced by Mike Ashley from Dice Tower Theater. The Ningalics and other characters to be revealed later are voiced by Carrie Cowell from Elderberry Tales.